pip up today um, to be part of the My Faith series journey. And yeah, we're just so excited to hear from these guys today. So give them a warm welcome. Yeah, it's been such a, a cool series that we've been doing here at Vineyard. Hello. Sorry, Angela and Lyndon. Don't worry, they're not here, so we can do what we want. Um, yeah, it's been such a cool series, just having different people come up and share a little bit about their faith series. Um, you know, it's so cool to to learn a little bit about how God just uses different people in different seasons for um, amazing things. Um, and also, I guess, a bit of a constant that it's good to see that it's not just us that has hard times, but these guys that come and share share some of the difficult seasons that they've been through and really had to persevere in their faith um, and just to see how God has used them in those seasons. So, um, yeah, we're so excited. Um, Sam and I have got to know Maz and Pip a little bit since um, we, our paths have crossed. And just in a short space of time, they've imparted so much love and wisdom to us. Um, so pretty excited to see what they're going to share with us today and um, hear some of their journey and some of their story. I'm just going to read out of, out of Hebrews 10, um, and which has kind of been our anchor verse for the series um, and uh, Lyndon's gone through it a few times as he's um, kind of kicked off the series. So I thought, you know, let's dig into scripture and go through this verse. So it's Hebrews 10 verses 23 to 25. And it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So yeah, hopefully these guys will stir up some good works and love from us with their stories that they share with us this morning. So we're going to kick it off in traditional sense and um, we're going to ask Maz and Pip to share something with us that we might not know about you. Um, so yeah, if you want to kick us off. Um, well, you probably don't know a whole lot about me. Um, we have four children together and eight grandchildren. But the thing that I'm going to share is that uh, I'd always wanted to be a ballerina and my mum sent me to gymnastics. And I was hugely disappointed about that. I think she might have thought I was more a fairy elephant than a ballerina. But um, when my youngest child was one, I decided that I would go and do dancing. So I went to jazz ballet and we had an end of year uh, show, you know how they have those things at the end of the year and my husband and the four kids were all sitting there and our dance was, it's raining men, hallelujah. <laughs> Classic. She got to fulfill her dream. <laughs> um, same question? Yeah, yeah. same question. Um, 
thank you for the opportunity to share with you all and uh, um, something you might not know about me uh, is uh, obviously I have an unusual name, Maza, and uh, I'm named after my father's uh, best friend. They had a friendship for nigh on 70 years before they both died and escaped as refugees from Yugoslavia, came out together and uh, I'm named after his closest friend who was like a second dad to me, Maza Krasniki and uh, who had a lot to do with Kosovo refugees coming to New Zealand. Uh, Uncle Maz is in the book of 100 Most Influential Muslims. So I grew up in a Muslim community as a child and teenager. And uh, talking to an Arabic scholar in my father's home one day, I said, what the heck does Maza mean? And uh, he does a little transliteration thing, and he said, it means to go to the place of the manifest presence. He said, you have a good Muslim name. I said, I have a good Christian name. <laughs> He uh, wasn't too sure about that, but anyway, he thought it was a good Muslim name. So that's something you might not know. Awesome, yeah. That's a, if that's the start, we're in for some good stuff, I think. So I've been instructed to ask Pip the questions first, because otherwise um, we were told that Maz was just going to run away with it and she wouldn't get a chance. So... <laughs> Um, yeah, we had a good joke about that, but I see the inflatable baseball bat didn't come with, so <laughs> uh, just tell Maz when he's speaking too much. So, Pip, if you could kick us off um, as we kind of dig in, and would you mind just sharing with us a little bit about your faith journey and um, some of the things that have kind of taken you along in your faith journey? It was hard to know quite what to share, having had a faith journey of 55 years now and um, I thought uh, there's just a few things that um, stuck out to me that I would share with you today. I grew up in a Christian home and uh, my dad was a real man of faith and of vision and of seeing things happen and I think that I actually caught some of his faith gift which is actually quite encouraging as a parent to know that your children can absorb some of your faith, that we don't just live it, you know, isolated, that our children catch something of who we are. And although you can catch some of your parents' faith, it still has to be your very own. And it was when I was 16 that I had my first encounter that I knew um, that God was real to me and I my parents were away for the weekend and I wrote off their car and um, I've only had two accidents in my life which both come into today but anyway um, so I wrote off my parents car and I was taken to an emergency dentist because I didn't have my seat belt on and I went straight into the and damaged my teeth and my mouth was all swollen and it wasn't a pretty sight. So I went to the dentist and they took an x-ray and they said, you've cracked your front tooth and you're going to have to have an implant. But we can't do anything until all the swelling has gone down and it'll be a few weeks. So I went home and my parents must have rung our pastor and he came around in the afternoon and he prayed for me 
And he didn't know any specifics about my tooth or anything like that. But he prayed, and I felt, for the very first time, I felt God's presence upon me. And I went back to the dentist um, several weeks later, and they did more x-rays, and the dentist said to me, I don't know what has happened, but the crack across your tooth has gone. And these are my teeth, my original teeth that have never had anything done to them. And um, for me, I knew that he was my God. He cared personally for me. Um, So that was the first little bit. The other thing from my dad is that he practiced what I would call seed faith. And I grew up seeing this happen on a number of occasions. If there was a cause or an organization or a dream or um, something that he believed in, he would give money towards it and then he would say, and I'm really praying that that money will be multiplied. And I was the recipient of that on a number of occasions. If there was something I was going to do or planning that he really believed in, he would give me a $10 or a $20 note and he said, I really believe in what you're doing and I'm really hoping and praying that God will multiply this money for you. So I grew up absorbing that sort of faith And then we were pastoring in the Elam Church for quite a number of years. And Elam do what they call a breakthrough offering every year. And the breakthrough offering is for some specific um, goal or target that the church is believing for. But it wasn't about just giving them money you were challenged to consider what you would give, but it was also the opportunity of seeing breakthrough in your lives, that as you gave to believe God for breakthrough in areas that you wanted to see him breakthrough in. So um, I was really wanting to start my own business as a florist, but I didn't know how to go about it. And I'd been doing posies for a little uh, cafe in Takapuna called Verde and I'd been saving all the money for that hoping that I would be able to do this business venture at some point. The only other thing I was doing was taking flowers to my son's work studio once a week. So anyway, um, not anywhere enough to make a living. So I really prayed and I believed that God was saying to me, I want you to give all the money that you have earned from your flowers over the last six months to the breakthrough offering. And I thought, oh God, are you sure? How about half? (laughs) Do any of you bargain like that? (laughs) I said, sure, maybe just half. And Mm-mm. It was the whole amount. So I took the whole amount out, and the breakthrough offering came on that Sunday, and I put all of the money in. It was kind of a bit hard, but I once I'd done it, I actually felt a little bit of excitement 
because I really felt that God was saying to me, you give me what you've done for your so-called business and you watch me multiply. You cannot outgive me. That's what I felt God was saying to me. So the next morning, Monday morning, I took flowers up to my son's work studio, which is, was in Ponsonby, and I had to go through a prominent hairdresser. As I was walking through, the hairdresser said to me, the owner, Pip, we really love the flowers that you're do you take up for Joel each week. Um, we'd really like you to do our flowers. Could you come and see me after you've dropped Joel's flowers off? I said, sure. So I went, dropped the flowers off, and then went into her office. She said, well, I don't just want you to do our flowers. I want you to do um, Newmarket's flowers as well and Takapuna's flowers. Do you know that one client on a weekly basis was more than I put in that breakthrough offering? Isn't that incredible? God is so good. You know, I never had to advertise or have a website in 10 years. I had the most amazing florist career, thanks to God. The people that came into that hairdresser, they had businesses. They got me to do their businesses, their weddings. I did um, fashion week. I got to have the most amazing opportunities. And do you know what? If I hadn't been obedient, what might have happened? You know, when we give what we have, God will multiply it. I've just got a few little things. Believe me, this is my one thing, so I will pass on to Maz. But when I'm done, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> um, I have seen God's hand upon my life in many, many ways over the years. And some of them have been very messy and very painful, and God hasn't always answered how I would have liked. And there's just a few things that I would like to just share with you. Um, one of our daughters was born with a health condition that involved many, many painful surgeries. And as a mum, I would cry out to God and I would beg him to heal her. And it didn't happen. But in the midst of it, God put people around that helped us through, um, that helped provide money for her surgeries, because not all could be done through the public system. I didn't understand why God didn't heal, but he had his ways, and her journey has been part of who she is today. And she's a beautiful woman. <laughs> we'll never get over this stuff as a parent. <laughs> um, and I had a horse accident as a teenager. And as a result of that, I had 30 years of debilitating migraines where I would be in bed for four days at a time. 
vomiting and not able to function and I missed many, many important occasions and I was the first up for any altar call for healing, you name it. I tried every health venture, every diet that could possibly heal a migraine, I tried it and it didn't happen year after year after year. It didn't happen, I wasn't healed. The crazy thing was that I had another car accident five years ago and it was pretty serious and I was in hospital for a while. <clears throat> and as a result of that car accident, I have never had another migraine. Can you believe that? We're marketing this <laughs> for all migraine sufferers. Go for a drive with Pip. <laughs> So I don't understand God's ways, but in the midst of messy, painful stuff, he's there. And the last thing that I am going to share is that with Maz's um, health journey over the last six years, our lives were turned upside down. There was nothing that was the same anymore. And we faced huge grief, huge grief. And yet in the midst of all that, God gave me my heart's desire, which was to live by, in a little house by the sea. And that little house has been like a real healing balm and just like God's smile upon us in a really difficult season. And so... I guess what I'd just like to close with in that is that sometimes I have had huge amounts of faith to believe for things and sometimes I've had very small faith. And I actually bought my mustard seeds. I just want you to see. Can you see how tiny those mustard seeds are? They're so, so tiny. I love mustard seeds to cook with, but you know, the Bible says that if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, that you will move mountains. And we sung about it today. And you know, some of you may be facing stuff in your life and you just don't know how it's going to work out or you don't have great faith but if you just cling on to that small small amount of faith and believe God and trust him he can move mountains he can move the immovable in your lives and I know that whatever you go through the good the great the bad and the ugly that God is always there, that he will never, ever forsake you. He is a good, good father. And that's it from me. Oh, thank you so much, Pip. That was so good, eh? <laughs> Maz, um, yours is a bit of a, a loaded question, so listen up tight and <laughs> hopefully you can give us a th um, your response. But maybe we could hear a little bit about your faith journey as well. Um, and maybe you can just elaborate a bit on how your faith might have changed 
over the years and maybe some of the challenges or the greatest challenge that you've faced uh, with regards to your faith and your walk with Jesus? That wasn't in the original question, was it? Sorry, uh, just I know. <laughs> just teasing. <laughs> um, I think as Pippa shared some of hers, I, we, uh, we met when Pippa was 16, I was 17, she grew up in a Christian home, I didn't. She lived in suburban Pakaranga, I lived in a um, place called Pamua Gleninus. And uh, when my mates heard that I was going out with a girl across the bridge, they just were incredulous. We were like two worlds apart. And, um, and I say that to say because we then obviously met. I came to faith in Christ when I was nearly 19. I wasn't a believer when I met Pip. But through uh, building on what she said about her dad, uh, her dad was an amazing person at reaching out and bringing the lost and stray home. And what I saw in Pip's family through that, that I just want to say, um, and I'm going off script, is, is the power, you, we don't know the power of inviting someone into our home. Um, I grew up in a sort of semi-Middle Eastern culture and my parents never locked the door. People came in and out of our home. But the power of accepting people into your home, you never know where that'll lead. And it was Pip's dad inviting me home to their place for dinner one night as a lost, stray young man that he felt for. And that's where I met Pip. He never envisaged what would follow. <laughs> but understanding our background, our context, is important to understand who we are. I have a little phrase I've used over the years, no one arrives from nowhere. And when we understand where people have come from, we will understand them better in terms of why they say the things they do, why they do the things they do. And it was my um, maternal grandfather who taught me uh, quite a lot about life. He was a bit more of a dad to me than my dad. And um, I was trying to understand my dad, and he said, you'll never understand him until you understand his story. So he said, ask him questions. And when I did, then I understood him. And our faith journey always has a context, a bigger picture of what's going on. And sometimes, like as Pippa said, we, we don't really get the privilege of knowing the entire big picture. We would love, well, we think we would love God to show us the entire big picture. But if he did, I think we would just jump under the covers and never surface if we knew really what was ahead. And our journeys are as unique as our thumbprint. And one of the things I've learnt about my faith journey is I love hearing people's stories, I love reading Christian biographies and the encouragement, the inspiration it gives, but I can't live off that. That's the unique thumbprint of that person's story, that person's journey and God's dealing in their lives. And one of the stories in scripture that really spoke to me and challenged me early on in my Christian walk as a follower of Christ was in John 21 where Jesus restores Peter and he tells Peter how he's going to die and what's ahead for him which wasn't a pretty picture. Peter, you're going to be crucified. That's how your life's going to end. And church history tells us Peter was, but he felt so unworthy, he asked to be crucified upside down and was. He, uh, and you can imagine being told that, and Peter's going, well, what about John? What about the guy over there? And Jesus turns to him and says, what someone's called the witty principle, what is that to you? You come follow me. 
And one of the things I've learned about telling my story and listening to other people's story is it can inspire and it can encourage, but I have to be willing to follow Jesus no matter what. And what happens in that person's journey becomes that what is that to you, Maz? You come follow me. And as uh, Pip and I were sharing, you know, we've been through our pain, our suffering, as everyone does. No one is exempt from it. And sometimes we see the way God answers prayers in other people's lives with healing and uh, etc. cetera, um, and it doesn't work for us. As Pip said, I have a, a health journey, which is part of my story, and one of the biggest challenges that I've had to work through, in a sense, my whole Christian life, because we came up from very different backgrounds, and I grew up in a home where, as a child, I witnessed my father beat my mother up, and he was locked away for two years, and uh, he had mental health issues. My mother had mental health issues, and she was shut away for a year once. Um, I'd left home by that point. So... We grew up in very different homes. Hers was a very loving, stable, faith-filled home. Mine was dysfunctional, probably wouldn't really describe it. Um, so at the age of 16, I left home, and not the best of circumstances. The police found me several days later, um, said, well, you're 16, you're not in trouble, but please let your parents know you're alive. So uh, I did, and then still left home and uh, made a mess of my life. And the, the biggest challenge I have had to wrestle with throughout my entire Christian journey in life is, is battling the, what people will call the black dog, the issue of depression. And knowing what it is to discover the Father heart of God in the midst of that. And to know that God is a good Father. And to balance that out, though, with the flip side, that God is also absolutely holy and pure. And one of the things I saw navigating through the charismatic journey, and this is not a criticism, but I, I got concerned that sometimes, as one smart speaker said, you know, God created us in his image, and then we decided to return the favor. And sometimes we dumbed God down to want to make him a father at our level, but he's not. He's unlike any father there ever is. And for me, the navigating the journey of my Christian life and why, why I'm emphasizing this is it became the foundational thing to navigate pain and suffering and trials that God is an absolutely good God and loving Father who's working everything for my good and everything for his glory and honor. And that he is absolutely holy, so he is able to bring the best out of every situation and circumstance. And so that became something that really came home to roost when I was 29. I'd been gung-ho Christian for 10 years, threw myself into everything, discovered a church family, and thought this was just amazing. Uh, fell in love with the Bible, um, fell in love with Christians, uh, till I became a pastor. No, it's a, Found love with Christian church. <laughs> uh, when you become a pastor, you see the other side. Uh, and um, at the age of 29, four years into pastoring, um, I just had a complete breakdown. And uh, I was a fit, healthy person. I'd go running for several hours at a time. I could do a sub 20 minute 5K road race. Um, and suddenly I hit a wall, and that was it. And we had three young children. And the thing that came out of that part there's so much to that story as Pippa said sometimes you have great faith 
And I don't know about you, but I found it was easy to have great faith for other people. I could stand in front of people and pray for them with great faith. But then when it came to yourself, it was really difficult if you didn't have a perspective on the Father heart of God. But what I learned through that journey was when I have little faith and I'm faithless, as we sung this morning, God is always absolutely faithful. And it was his faithfulness. I would sit in the back room of our house and I couldn't read, I couldn't converse. There was a lot of things that broke down. And I would just sit there and stare out the wall into the garden and I would just sit there with my Bible. I couldn't actually mentally read for a number of months, but I'd just hold it and I'd say, I know your promises are true and you're faithful. That's all I can hang on to at the moment. And, you know, sometimes when you're in trials and you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, you have got to have laid that foundation where you know that you know the promises of God are true and God is absolutely and utterly faithful. And um, the challenges I think that we all face are in those moments. And I saw it as a pastor during 30 years of ministry. We saw, you know, everybody suffers, everybody experiences pain, everybody goes through trials. And in that, it's managing, for me, it was managing disappointment and unmet expectations. We all go into relationships, to life, to ventures with expectations, don't we? And when those expectations are dashed or not met, that's when our faith is on trial. That's when it's really tested. And uh, one of the things I learned through that, and one of the key scriptures was Psalm 73. We won't read it because it's a very long psalm, but if you read Psalm 73 in your own time, the psalmist talks about how he's wrestling with the trials of life. And basically, if you were putting it in modern language, he's saying, I'm trying to do the right thing, God. I'm trying to keep my hands clean. I'm trying to keep my heart clean. I'm trying to do what is right in your eyes. And it is just so painfully hard. And I'm looking at the wicked, and they're enjoying life, and they're prospering. Have you ever had one of those conversations with God? Okay, I'm the only one. (laughs) Then the psalmist says the key turning thing. He said, this caused me great pain until I went into the presence of God and then I saw their end and my end what he was saying was it wasn't till I went to worship God and got into his presence that I got everything into perspective and I realized that they might be prospering now but there is coming an end and what the psalmist was saying to himself and what I learned through those suffering moments is the thing that helps gets us through is the lens through which we view our life. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, those who think of heaven the most are often those who bring heaven to earth the most. And he was talking about the fact that we had lost our eternal perspective on life. We were so caught up in this life and all the things of this life that we had forgotten we are not people of this world. We're passing through. We are eternal people. And one of the things that's helped me navigate some of the aspects of my journey is that it might be painful, but I live with an eternal perspective. I am just passing through. This is not my home. But while it is my home, my job is to help to bring heaven to earth through the way that I live. And um, one of the things that has helped me also embrace trials, and we 
Pip alluded to my health journey, um, 2014, wasn't it? March 2014, I had the first of five strokes that occurred within a space of three years. And um, getting punched in the brain five times in three years is not a pleasant experience. And um, it has affected me in many, many ways. Um, and uh, the thing that God has done through that, though, and I guess it's one little lesson I'd leave as I close this point off, is um, I, I preached through the book of Daniel once, um, and I got to chapter 3, that very familiar story of Dan, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego getting thrown into the fiery furnace. You all know it. Some of you learned in Sunday school. I didn't do Sunday school. I didn't go to church till I got saved. So I've got a lot of questions. Why are they lifting their hands? What's that gibberish sound they're making? Why is someone falling on the floor? You know, when she gave me a Bible, it's what's the Bible? You know, I'd never touched it. So the whole thing was a new country for me. But uh, when I, I wasn't familiar with that story, not growing up in church, and as I studied and read it, two things struck me about the trials of life is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were given an ultimatum, bow or burn. And they stood when everyone bowed and said to the king, uh, we will not bow. Basically, they said, our allegiance, our surrender, our submission is to the complete sovereignty of God in our life. So whatever you do to us, we will not bow. We are completely living in submission to the sovereign will of God. Whether we live or die, we submit. When I really looked at it, I thought, man, that's real faith. That's real faith that says whatever the outcome to this trial or difficulty or suffering is, I will not bow the knee to anyone else but God. And then they're bound, they're thrown in the fire, they come out, and the only one thing that's burnt is what? The ropes. The things that bound them. And what I realize is that when I go through the fiery trials, fire is sedentary by nature. I'm either going to get burnt or I'm either going to get refined. It depends on how I approach it. And that the good thing God wants to do in the midst of that is he simply wants to burn off the things that bind me that hold me back from being the best version of myself in him. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mazel. So good. Um, Pip, I think you said that you're close on being done, but I've got to ask you this one. Um, this is my favorite question of the series so far because there's just so much wisdom um, that people have got to share. So what would some wisdom be that you'd love to share most with someone who's in the earlier stage of their uh, faith journey, some of the disciplines or practices that you would suggest or things that you did um, yeah um, well that would probably be my favourite question as well because I love to hear what people pass on in the nature of wisdom especially when it's heartfelt wisdom not like head knowledge but when it comes from the heart they've actually learnt it through their life and it's it's personal and it's powerful. Um, I think the sad thing is that the darker powers of this world will, um, will often stop us from testifying to God's goodness, make us question our worth. Are we really up to sharing? I mean, 
even this week, different things have happened, and I've thought, oh, should I really, you know, be sharing today? But, you know, that's exactly what the enemy wants. He wants us to not declare the things that God has done and put in our lives. And um, our testimony isn't always from heights. It can also be from valleys as well. So when I was young, um, my scripture that I clung to, raising four young kids and being a pastor's wife was, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And like I literally would declare that every day. Um, and it did help me and give me the strength that I needed, but I also realized that some of the things that I thought I needed to do, I actually didn't need to do, and God wasn't actually asking of me that it was more important at times to rather just be rather than feeling like I had to do, do, do. Um, and then when I did my floristry degree, we had to do a business component and had to write out a vision statement for our business. And I thought, I wonder what that would look like if I did a vision statement for my life and sort of chose to live my life on a vision statement. Um, now, I'm not a, a list planner person. I never have a list. I'm not that way inclined. But I did write this down, and I, for a good decade, this was my, um, my life statement, was to create beauty in and for people. And that sort of channeled whatever I felt I needed to do, I measured against that. Um, but I also initially was going to put so that people can see God's goodness, but then I was challenged and I thought, no, no, that's not, that's not it. My part is to do what God asks me to do, and then I leave the result of how people respond with God and with people because they have their own free will. And it's really, really freeing when you realize that you can't control people and you can't control circumstances. The only thing that you are responsible for is what God asks of you. So now my life has moved on further. And so how I live my life now, one of the um, things that I say to myself every day when I wake up is, as your day, so shall your strength be. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes my day holds things that I just never thought would, that it could hold. And I know that God is my strength. I start my day with gratitude. I walk the dog along the beach early in the morning and I just continue to thank God. I continue to thank him for things that are happening, for the beauty around me. I just fill that time with gratitude, and it gets me off to a good start. And um, the quote that we have in our bathroom, so you go to the bathroom every day, many times a day, and I read this, we found it in an op shop, and I'll just read it to you. 
I shall pass through this world but once. Any good thing, therefore, that I can do, or any kindness that I can show any human being, let me do it now. Let me not defer it or neglect it, for I shall not pass this way again. And as I face each day, I I do just ask God to bring the people, the circumstances across my path that I can show his kindness, that I can show his goodness and that I don't have any regrets in a day that I have missed opportunities. And I also, just in closing, want to say that uh, the verse that I love to is whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Don't ever think that anything is too small. God uses the small things to touch big hearts. Oh, that's so good. Thank you so much, Pip. Um, Maz, yeah, I think we've got <coughs> a couple more minutes um, before we kind of close up. So I'm going to pose the same question to you. What are some of the um, disciplines or things that you would love to share um, with someone at an earlier life stage? Um, and just something that was particularly helpful to you that you would want to pass on um, to some of the young guns in here? A um, couple of things, real quick fire, and then one I'll close with. Um, the realisation that when you start out on the Christian journey, as Eugene Peterson put it, it's a, it's a long obedience in the same direction. And building on what Pip said about just obeying God and doing the right thing, someone shared in their f faith journey story a few weeks ago, you never know what's on the other side of obedience. And... Um, I think that's one of the things I've learned and a phrase I read early on in my Christian walk. The Christian life is not measured by its ecstasies but by its obediences. And sometimes we can go looking for experiences and feelings and want to feel good things but sometimes life is simply putting one foot in front of the other, going in the right direction for the right reasons. And what's at the end of that journey is wonderful. Um, the other thing I learned as a young Christian when I came to Christ at 18 and a half was that people generally my own age, when you're young, uh, really don't know nothing at all. Um, <laughs> I figured that out really quickly. So I thought the smartest thing, and I'd learned some of these lessons, as I say, from my maternal grandfather, was uh, to go to home group where people might know something. So I went to home group uh, in our church where the youngest person was 55. And I was, I was 19, 20, and uh, I learned so much, so much. And it's one of the things I'd say to younger people is hang out with older people um, who are doing the journey well because they can impart so much. When I wanted to learn about marriage, I was scared to marry Pip. Seriously. Uh, her father put fear into my heart. No. <laughs> But I had grown up, in a, as I said, in a dysfunctional family. I did not know what a good marriage looked like. I saw violence, violence in my friends' marriages, uh, their parents rather around us. Um, so I went and asked the older men in the church, what does it mean to be a, a husband? And just got some of the greatest advice. The last thing I'd leave with is, is this. Um, Second funeral I took as a young pastor, I sat there. First funeral, I was so nervous I couldn't really remember it. And you knew you didn't want to screw a funeral up because you only got one shot at it. And uh, so I was taking our second a second funeral, and I remember looking at the casket and inviting everybody up to pay their tributes. And 
this thought just went across my mind suddenly oh my goodness one day that's going to be me one day I'm going to die and it sounds a morbid thought one day my life's going to end up in a box and I sat there and long story short I thought how would I want to be remembered and if I was to impart one piece of advice it was this that changed the whole trajectory of my life was I then took myself away for two days to a retreat center in the Hawke's Bay where we were living and I wrote out my own funeral tributes. What I did was I got a blank piece of paper for every person in my life, my wife, my children, any grandchildren I might have, my siblings, my parents, friends, people I'd pastored, and I asked myself, if I lived to 80 and died and had the privilege and the opportunity to be able to sit in the back of my own funeral and everybody else survived, what would I want to hear my wife say? What would I want to hear my children say about me? What would I want to hear my grandchildren say? What would I want the people I had shepherded to say? Not what I did, but who I was and what I was like. And what I've learned, and we've passed this on in a course Pip and I have run called See You at the Finish Line, is that if you want to live well and navigate life well, you start with the funeral. An architect does not start with a light switch. He starts with a dream and an aspiration of what this finished thing might look like, then goes back to the start line and designs it detail by detail. An athlete doesn't start at the start line. They imagine themselves crossing the finish line. And what is it going to take to do that? And then they discipline the rest of their life for that goal. You cannot cram character at the end of your life. You cannot cram relationships at the end of your life. I have literally held the hand as a pastor of people who died. I was with my father the day before he died and got to pray for him for the first time in my life. And that, that's a very precious moment. I know, I don't go. <laughs> um, what I'm saying is you start with how you want to be remembered and then you go back to the start line and you live that life now. You determine your values, your principles, your practices, because when the heat of life is on, the battle's on, the race is weary, believing is hard, you can't decide how you're going to live then, because the pressure's often too great. You have got to have made that decision well before. So start with your funeral and live how you want to be remembered. Awesome, that is so good. I think let's give these guys a big round of applause for their wisdom and vulnerability. Um, I'm going to call Andrew up to just come and close out the service. Um. Yeah, thank you so much for that. That's a, yeah, a lot of wisdom, a lot of insight, and it's so great to get to know you guys a little bit better for your journey. Um, really, really nice. Thanks for sharing. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your presence in each of our lives. We thank you for what you're doing in each of us, what you're teaching us, where you're leading us. We thank you for the good times and the bad. And Father, we just pray that you might continue to encourage and to bless everyone here. And, and Father, just help us to know you 
more better, that you might just fill our lives more and more so that we might just be a reflection of who you are to those round about us. We just thank you for that and for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. After uh, morning tea.